welcome to Healthy Perspectives Podcast with Jeremiah, where we provide clinical perspectives on current social and cultural issues. And don't forget, you can subscribe at Podbean, Spotify, Apple, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe at any or all of them. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Getter, Twitter, and many other social media sites. Or you can email us at healthy perspectives with an S at protonmail.com. Hello, hello, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. As always, we appreciate your time. Today we are going to be doing JJJ. What Jeremiah has to say about January 6th on. January 6th. That's right. We are going to take a more detailed look at what the January 6th hearing, the final one that they put together, says about our culture. Or I should uh, put it this way. What questions or decision points we have as a culture as a result of the findings on the January 6th committee. All right. <clears throat> this is probably going to be one of the longer podcasts. So for those of you who like my short versions, uh, hey, I appreciate that. And this one, I, I got to tell you, I literally went through moment by moment on the January 6th committee final uh, you know, presentation because that's what it was. <clears throat> And I'm going to detail it out. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to reiterate all of it. It's not going to take me an hour and 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever. Uh, but it's, it's not going to be super short either. So hang in there. I hope you enjoy. And let us roll on. The very, very beginning. It opens with uh, Benny Thompson. Benny Thompson, for those of you who are watching on Rumble or, or YouTube, you're going to see me looking down a lot because I've got a bazillion notes today. Uh, Benny Thompson opens up. He highlights uh, a very law-centric, uh, you know, viewpoint, and he more or less says two things: we've got to have faith in the law, and we got to be obedient to the law. Okay. Uh, then he throws out the punchline: Trump lost and knew it. He tried to undermine the law by scheming a way to remain in office, and then summoned a mob to Washington who was the mob was armed and he told them to fight like hell. Now, some of those things are, are true and we're going to get into some of the details of it, but right there enters our first decision point of the day. And I've only got six decision. I think six decision points. I'm pretty sure that's what I came up with. So decision point number one, According to Benny Thompson, there is a two-pronged assessment, just two, two-pronged assessment. One is obedience to the law, and two is faith in the law. If there isn't faith in the law, what happens to obedience to the law? That's the first decision point, right? Like, think about these, this question. If... We have lost, we, meaning anybody, if anybody has lost faith in the law, what happens then to the obedience to the law? Well, I think we saw some of that, unfortunately. Uh, this is not new. Back in July of 1776, there was a declaration made about this very topic. The Declaration? Yes, the Declaration of Independence. And with that, I'm going to move over to that real quick, and I'm going to give you some excerpt from it. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another. Like, we're talking about the uh, uh, America separating from what was the king's rule at the time. 
which connected it. Okay. And to assume among the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. In other words, they thought it was right to say, this is why we believe we must separate. And then it goes on to what you've all heard many, many times. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which don't take those out of context. You can't. Please don't do that. I mean, you can. You, you can make your own decision. But the pursuit of happiness that they are talking about had a very specific meaning in the time period. It was more or less saying property and, you know, the, anybody that's going to interfere with their relationships um, and their belongings. Then it goes on to say that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, my interpretation of that is it's a people's government. The government works for the people, not the other way around, which is what they came from, right? They came from, you know, the, the hierarchical model of there's a king at the top. And if the king says jump, you jump, period. And then it goes on that whenever... Any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, these inalienable rights. It is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness." And then it goes on and on. Like I could read you the whole thing, but let's be real. I brought that up because in the event that people have lost faith in the law, which by the way is one of the three-legged stool, that's one leg of the three-legged stool, uh, that does beg the question then, what do we do? Do we obey the law when we have no faith in the law? Just saying that for, for an example. Um, if, that, if that all makes sense, then this will make sense. Then we must ask if we can, should, or do have faith in the laws. We have to ask that question. We, it's, it's not like that's an... A, obligation we have because if we don't then there's a lot of questions we have about obeying the laws now i trust me i'm not going for anarchy here all of those people out there who are going to try to hate me right away just be patient i am not thoughtless i am not gonna just end it here what i propose in order to have faith in the law we have to have faith in the people who created it and those that enforce it. If we don't have faith in the people who created it and the people who enforce it, then we're not going to have faith in the law. Hence, January 6th, some of these things that have occurred, we've got about roughly a 50-50 split in the country when it comes to political opinion. And again, that's opinion. Um, And that means there's a lot of people who are losing faith in the functional abilities of the law, or at least the politics, which is the law, the executive branch. So it's the judicial branch, the executive branch, and my brain is going blank. Uh, oh, the legislative branch. All right. So my conclusion to decision point number one. All right. If we, if the answer to, uh, you know, the, the concept of faith 
in the people and faith in the enforcers? If the answer to that is yes, you have faith in them, then this could be a coup. If the answer is no, you don't have faith in them, then this may not be a coup. It may actually be social responsibility, not to do you know, incite violence, not to uh, you know ransack the Capitol building. No, not like I'm not suggesting that that was okay, but to stand up and voice the displeasure is a social responsibility. So again, I'm not condoning the violence or the destruction. Just clarifying the decision point. All right. Then Benny Thompson goes on uh, to state that the committee will release the bulk of the records before the end of the year. So that the American, his quote was, uh, the, the bulk of the records before the end of the year. That was his quote. Then he also said, the American people can see it for themselves. That's what he wanted to do or supposedly wanted to do. Which brings us already to our second decision point. Do we or should we have faith in our political system and politicians who led the January 6th committee? Well, that's a good question. I propose that faith in the January 6th committee and the politicians starts with transparency or truth and follow through, which is authenticity. I get these from the clinical realities. And okay, this is not a, for me at least, this is not a political statement. It's a clinical statement. A clinical statement because the clinical realities are that trust is built on truth and authenticity. Not about perfection, truth and authenticity and effective communication, if I'm being real. And did they tell the truth? That's a great question. And did they follow through? Do we have access to all the records or the vast majority of the records? Nearly, he said, the bulk of the records. Those are questions we should be asking. Do we have those records? We're in the 2020 or we're in 2023 now, 2023. What does that mean? That means it's now the new year. And he said by the end of the year, Using Benny Thompson's own conclusion, the single most important factor for preventing another January 6th was accountability. That's what Benny Thompson said. This begs the question, why don't we have the records now? If we're talking about accountability being such a critical component, then why don't we have the records Benny Thompson, I would love an answer because you are going against what you said was the, the most important factor. Your quote, not mine. Why also is anyone trying to seal them for 50 years or something supposedly? Why are they trying to seal the records? Those seem to be very reasonable questions, considering that Benny Thompson himself said the most important factor for preventing another January 6th is accountability. So, Benny Thompson, release the records. It's that simple. Be accountable to yourself. All right, now we move on. My conclusion for this particular decision point, number I've got three parts to it. Number one, is this truth and transparency that we are witnessing? Number two, will this instill faith in the political system and politicians? And number three, is the rule of law independent of those that created it and enforce it? Think about those questions. Those are tough questions. I know. I know I'm asking a lot of you. 
but I really encourage you to think them through. Is what we are seeing truth and transparency? Will this instill faith in the political system and politicians? And is the rule of law independent of those that created it and enforce it? Those are very important questions to ask when it comes to decision point number two. So then the the committee goes on. Liz Cheney takes the floor, highlights unity and perpetuity of institutions. So I did a little bit of extra research here because I was trying to figure out like what could she be meaning about unity and perpetuity of institutions? I mean, unity is pretty simple to understand. We got to draw the people together. Great. I love it. That's called leadership. I mean, be a leader and you often attract people. Okay, good. Perpetuity of institutions. What did she mean by that? Perpetuity um, is, is of institutions means or at least it suggests an endless eternal existence of institutions, meaning it's going to be endless. It goes on and on and on. Hmm. Simply put, she is suggesting that our institutions should remain even if they fail the people because unity is more important. Go back and listen to her. I'm telling you that is in there. You can see it for yourself. That is a big leap. That is a really big leap. Huge. So discussion or decision point number three is what in the heck are we doing if we put perpetuity of institutions before the people. That's a really interesting thing for her to say. So, in conclusion, on discussion point number three, or decision point, are we sacrificing for unity of the people or for the institutions? Look, somebody's going to come along and they're going to say, well, it doesn't have to be one or the other. I'm not talking about in real life, it has to be one or the other. The January 6th committee, Liz Cheney, made the argument. And so what I am suggesting is are we willing to sacrifice the unity of the people to have perpetuity of institutions? That's a really fair question. Another question that's fair, if it's for the people, which was the constitutional foundation of our culture, could there come a time to eliminate failing institutions? That's an interesting question. And number three, what do we do if the day comes that a transfer of power is from people to the institutions as opposed to to the people. I I don't know if these things will ever come to be, but they are very fair questions based on the way that the January 6th committee has addressed this issue. I, I got to tell you, for me, I, I was trying to leave out my, my own opinions and bias, although some of them sneak in here and I can feel a little bit of it happening. I'm going to go ahead and just uh, give you an opinion here. This is an opinion. I could be right. I could be wrong. But I, I don't like any scenario where we, uh, we defer power to the institutions that the institutions uh, become the dominant in the culture. And unfortunately, we've kind of seems to, we seem to have migrated in that direction. 
Then Liz Cheney goes on to summarize how Trump did not accept the results. Unfortunately, she does not at that point address the reality that nearly half of the country questions the reliability of the results. She's purely focused on Trump, which makes sense because, you know, Trump is the one who who uh, uh, you know, has the, the, the loudest voice in the room. Um, ignoring this completely is like putting lipstick on a pig. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, we sh- it just shouldn't be done. It's just weird. Um, but the truth is, almost 50% of the country questions the results, unfortunately. Um, and you know, ignoring it doesn't help. Instead, she suggests that Trump should have told the people to ignore the reliability of the results and leave the capital area. That's what she thinks Trump should have done. Why would he do that if he doesn't have faith in the results? Now, maybe he did have faith in the results and maybe he was just trying to stage a coup. I'm not suggesting that I know one way or the other uh, at this point because, you know, that's got to go through the court systems to be determined and then we will know. But to suggest that he should stand up for something he doesn't believe that's kind of a problem. That's like, it's like saying, I'm going to force you to think what I want you to think. Like that's, that's not okay that we, we don't do that. That's not something we do in our country. On a side note though, I believe it should have been a peaceful protest. I think that it was, it got way out of control, like way out of control. This violence and destruction are just too extreme, especially when you've got a 50, 50 split in the country. Look, if you, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but if you, uh, if, if 98% of the country believed something and 2% didn't, and the 2%, uh, you know, tried to show up and create violence, that 2% is going to be put like metaphorically in their place really, really fast because the rest of the country is going to, but that's not what we have. We have the potential for a really devastating, uh, problematic situation because we are close to a 50-50 split. So, you know, to not encourage a peaceful protest would be a really big problem. I mean, that's, we should be encouraging peaceful gatherings. We don't want to exacerbate the split, but unfortunately what happens at a 50-50, if you add violence It exacerbates the split. We've seen it over and over. Then she proceeds to say that the rule of law is the foundation of the country. I propose this question. Is that accurate? Is it accurate that the rule of law is the foundation of the country? Interesting question. And in this case... I'm going to answer it for you. If you said, yes, you would be wrong. The rule of law is not the foundation. It is not. The foundation of our country, our culture in America, is the rule of the people. And laws are made to put boundaries around things where people have significant disagreements or safety issues. The rule of law is just one leg, one leg. By the way, I gave you this answer earlier. It's one leg. The judicial system is one leg. The legislative system, which creates laws, yes, but they do lots of other things. And the number one thing that they do is represent their constituents. You, me, my brother, your brother or sister, your mother, father, your aunt, your uncle. They represent the people first. And they use laws to help people understand what the people they're representing want laws is just it's just a a way of expressing it it is not 
It is not the foundation. And then you've got the executive branch. Okay. So those three-legged stool, that three-legged stool, sorry, is, is proof that the law is not the foundation, that the people are the foundation. And it will always be that way under a constitutional government that we have. The people are the foundation. All right. Okay. She proceeds to say it was a constitutional crisis. A constitutional crisis at the Capitol building. Uh, When in reality, it was a crisis of faith. That's a very different thing. Now, did it become a law-breaking crisis? Yeah. But it wasn't a constitutional crisis. It was a crisis of faith. And it was a crisis of faith by Trump, by many politicians, and, well, almost 50% of the American voters that voted. That, my friends, is not a constitutional crisis. That is a, consti- that is a crisis of faith. She commends the efforts of the law, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the law enforcement, uh, the ones who attempted to minimize the violence and, and destruction. I super appreciated that. Uh, that. That, I think, is something. Like, these people put their life on the line. Uh, to protect the Capitol building and the people within it. And I think that that is commendable. Um, I know that we have lost some some of the people who were there, um, either via uh, later on committing suicide or, uh, you know, people who were harmed and hurt in that. And I get it that, that there's a lot of tragic things that have occurred in that, uh, the January 6th and the aftermath. And, uh, uh, you know, my, my hat's off to the people who did serve to protect both the Capitol building, but more importantly, the people within it. Um, I, I wish you all well, of course, as well. She yields back to Benny Thompson, uh, who highlights uh, the, the violence. Um, as I've said many times, this isn't the way to assemble. You don't assemble for violence. Please don't do that. Okay. My question, however, is no different than the one that they, as a committee, were tasked to ask. And that is this. As a therapist, I get curious uh, about distorted puzzle pieces. In other words, ones that we minimize, exaggerate, ones we lie about, we keep secrets about, and areas where we're deceptive. I'm asking the questions from a therapeutic lens that the committee was tasked to ask. Where are the exaggerations, the minimizations? Where are the lies, the secrets, and the deceptions? And if the January 6th committee is doing any of those things, then my question, which is very reasonable, is what's missing from their argument? What's missing from the scene? Well, I can tell you what's missing from the scene. Look, there there was no military folks there. Having served, I would, honestly, I would have expected the military to be present. Now, I've heard the reasons, and the January 6th committee made that very clear that the military was not on standby. And I'm very disappointed in that. Uh, You know, the commander in chief does have the ability to activate the military and he did not do that. That is true. So the military is missing. Other things from the scene that are missing? Uh, Security measures. Sometimes as simple as locking doors. You can see that in some of the videos. Uh, announce, uh, announcements to remain peaceful from a lot of people, like a lot of people did not announce remain peaceful. And some did, 
which is good. Trump was one of the people who did not announce after he left his speech, he did not say again, keep it peaceful. And could he have done that? Absolutely. And on my opinion, he should have done that, right? Like that's an opinion, again, an opinion. What's missing from the January 6th committee highlights at this point in their argument? Acknowledgement of the bomb. There was a bomb threat. There was a bomb threat. And I didn't hear anything about it in the January 6th committee finale. Nothing. They left it completely out. What's, what else is missing? More info about instigators of violence and destruction. Those people who, uh, Amy, they gave us some statistics. There's been this many people who have been incarcerated or whatever. Well, we want the, the details because, like, look, there's a difference between people acting on the behalf of somebody else or on behalf of themselves. They threw around names. The, the, they threw around Proud Boys a lot in this, well, not just in the finale, but even in the finale, they did throw that around. And maybe, but we're, we're not connecting the names and the people to the group. They, didn't, they did not do that. That's missing from their argument. Um, they, what else is missing? Uh, they minimized, exaggerated at best. That's what they were doing. They were, um, not what's missing, but based on these things, the, the bomb not being talked about and the instigators of the violence, not, and the destruction not being discussed at best, they minimized or, or exaggerated. Like depends on how you look at it, but we, we definitely should have, you know, gotten that information at worst. They just straight up avoided it so that they didn't have to lie or because they were keeping secrets or because they are being deceptive. And any of those things destroy relationships. As you've heard from me many, many times uh, from a therapeutic lens, lies, secrets, and deceptions destroy relationships. You're always a moment away from destruction of a relationship if you're lying, keeping secrets, and being deceptive. You're a moment away. You're just one, one moment that you get caught in the middle of the lie, the secret or deception, and that, that whole relationship could just be gone. Okay. So the therapy note, I have a quick therapy note for you here. This is a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, confirmation bias can create the minimization and the exaggeration. So we should have a little bit of grace for the January 6th committee. They were Definitely biased, which is fine. Like, do your thing. Um, but they were trying to confirm their bias. I mean, let's be real. That's what they were doing. If you watched it, you know that they were confirming their bias. They weren't fact gathering and trying to come up with a conclusion. They started with a conclusion and then attempted to prove that conclusion. That's a very different process. Um, and what we also know is that evil creates lies, secrets, and deceptions. So in the event that they were lying, keeping secrets, or being deceptive on purpose, intentionally, uh, that's just, an, that's a sign of evil. That's terrible. Um, that, that creates, that's intentionally destroying relationships. Uh, bad idea. That's not, that's not good from a therapeutic lens. It's not good from a political lens. So I would pose this. Why then might so many be losing faith in the elections? Stuff like this doesn't help. I can tell you that for sure. What the committee did highlight. I, look, I'm going to be fair. I got to be fair. Trump was skeptical of the election. Okay. He, violence did happen. Yep. Destruction did happen. Yep. Many people thought and stated that Trump's skepticism was not warranted. Yep, that happened. That's, they did highlight that. That Pence did not and would not stop the transfer of power. I'm not sure why they highlighted that. Um, it did paint Pence in a pretty good light, to be honest. Um, and, you know, that, that gave them the persona, at least in part, of being fair. Uh, the... They referred to it as the mob. The mob turned focus onto Pence. They highlighted that. Uh, 
They also highlighted that Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump were responsible. They stated this as fact, even though it's an opinion, because they, one, provoked it, which they were trying to prove all along. Um, I don't know that they proved it. We're going to find out because it's, it's been handed over to the judicial system. And number two, there's a dereliction of duty by not stopping it. Now, I got to say, I, I think it would have been very easy for, you know, some, you know, somebody like Donald Trump to just put out a tweet, like keep it peaceful. I mean, anything like that to put out an announcement, keep it peaceful. And then it would have been a lot clearer. Um, so, I, you know, I'm a little disappointed by a little meaning a lot. I mean, that seems like a pretty reasonable thing to do is keep it peaceful. Like that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good, uh, you know, simple thing to do. So we come now to decision point number four. Do we want violence and destruction? Look, we just heard how they exaggerated, they, they, not exaggerated, they uh, emphasized, they emphasized the violence and the destruction. And they emphasized responsibility to the violence and destruction to people who were not there. Do we want to be a people of violence and destruction. Violence has almost no place. I say almost because there's, you know, there, there are some exceptions. Is this one of them? I don't believe so. Do we want destruction? Destruction absolutely has a place. I'm not talking about destruction as in like destroying property, but destruction of things like uh, nonviolent destruction. Absolutely, we should have nonviolent destruction. What does that mean? Anything that's not healthy should be destroyed. We do it with cancer. We try to uh, destroy ignorance. Uh, you know, if you get asbestos in your home, you, you try to destroy the asbestos. Lies, we try to destroy lies. Oppression, we should be destroying oppression. Right? Like there's things that we definitely want to destroy. Uh, do we want to destroy the property of the Capitol building? No. No, that's terrible. So in conclusion to this decision point number four, the question that remains is how to destroy with the least amount of residual damage. And when is violence actually acceptable? Okay. Um, then, of course, if you answer those questions, then the question might become, was January 6th one of those times? I don't think it was, but some people will think it was. And I can understand the argument. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I think it was an extreme behavior. But I also... If I'm empathizing, I understand that people have lost faith in our cultural way. At least in part, at times. The committee proceeded to describe uh, these, well, I got, I got uh, 14 things. Hold on, let me double check. Yeah, 14 things. Number one, the big lie, which was, it was a stolen election. Then they, they uh, described the uh, evidence presented showed that votes were for Biden. They, they wanted to emphasize that the votes did, in fact, go in favor of Biden, which they did. At the end of the day, that was the president we voted for. They addressed Trump's uh, <clears throat> um, premeditating the, uh, the election day the denial stuff, like he had premeditated that. Uh, they... They addressed Trump's uh, that Trump may have attempted to prevent the committee from finding truth by having uh, a sh people share a legal strategy to not answer questions. <laughs> like, okay, I mean, it's an interesting one. I, I find that one intriguing personally. Uh, they emphasized 61 court cases that declared voter fraud was not the reason for his loss. 61 court cases. That's an overwhelmingly large number. 
they uh, they they also said um, that you know Adam Schiff comes on says he makes the argument that Trump pressured states uh, to change the results, and he they cited Georgia and a call to the to the state of Georgia to to talk about not certifying it and stuff. They uh, they the false electoral certificates were created. That was interesting. I actually found that to be really intriguing. Um, I mean, if there's one piece of evidence that I found to be most damaging, I think that was probably it, in my opinion. Um, and they highlighted that. They also talked about Trump, how, how Trump was responsible with his targeting of some people. And in one case, that led to harassment and even death threats by Trump supporters. I mean, yeah, I get the argument. And is it terrible for that, you know, that individual? Yes. Do I wish that on anybody? Absolutely not. A hundred percent. No. Um, and, uh, you know, like there's, there's a certain level of responsibility we have in, in leadership that we need to be careful with. Um, and then there's, there's, there's always these unpredictable outliers. And so I don't know what to take of that at the moment. Trump attempted to corrupt the Department of Justice by uh, pressuring them to say the election was stolen. Uh, and then, you know, and then uh, you, you end up with Pete Aguilar comes on. Trump pressured Mike Pence to attempt to reject Biden's uh, electoral votes based on an illegal theory that was presented by John Eastman. Uh, this led to Pence's life being threatened on January 6th. At least that's the connection they drew. And I, it seemed like a reasonable connection to me. Uh, then Trump tweeted about Pence after knowing the crowd, or they call it the mob, had become violent uh, the, that at that point. Shortly after that, uh, the, the surge happened and violence and destruction began at a, a much more significant and and, and difficult level. And then Stephanie Murphy comes on. Trump summoned a crowd mob uh, to Washington, D.C. That's what she's saying, the Capitol, and galvanized them to do what, they, what he could not do. Uh, Trump then did not discourage the violence and encourage them to be peaceful. That's what she said. He did not discourage the violence or encourage them to be peaceful. Um, this emphasized the... Uh, uh, the they they emphasized the fight like hell that I talked about earlier. Uh, they what they did not do is address the uh, the point at which Trump earlier in that day had said, "quote Soon you will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard." So he did call for peace uh, in this. Obviously, did he do it again after that? Not until far too too late in the process. I get that. Um, but they negated that. They did not address that in the January 6th committee. And then they, the, the 14th item is delayed uh, his response when the violence was imminent. Uh, I don't like that he delayed his his response when the violence was imminent. Uh, I think that that was, honestly, I think that was not wise. I think that was very much unwise. Uh, he could have could have definitely clarified everything much easier had he put a statement out saying keep it peaceful, and then if the violence still erupted, uh, you know, then you could easily make the argument that this would have been all a giant January six waste of time for this committee. Which you know, there's still the argument that much of it might have still been a waste of time, um, and maybe not. I guess we're going to find out because now it goes to the judicial system. So I'm going to highlight some puzzle pieces that they did not bring up and they did not highlight that I have questions about. Number one, the Russian Russian interference issues that happened before the elect, election. And I say that because that could have impacted decision-making at election time. Some people might have switched their votes. Now, we can't prove that counter-narrative. I'm not, I'm not here to prove it, but I think it's a reasonable question. Why did the January 6th committee not address the Russian interference in their finale? It doesn't make sense to me. Number two, social media suppression of information. The January 6th committee did not address that. 
They did not address the the laptop stuff with uh, Biden's son. They didn't address the the Democrat versus Republican ban discrepancy, the ghosting that happens on these social platforms. They didn't address any of that stuff. And I think that was a big miss by the January 6th committee because I think they could have accomplished a lot more had they addressed some of the, uh, some of these things. I mean, think about the pressure that that would then put on these social platforms. I mean, to do the right thing, to stop suppressing and allow free speech until it is dangerous speech. Number three, they didn't, uh, you know, of the things, the puzzle pieces that the committee did not address, voter fraud being detected, quote, detected, but rare. What they emphasized was people saying it didn't happen. There was no voter fraud. But the truth is, the actual truth, the reality is, there was voter fraud. And it was rare. And I say that because if we pretend something doesn't exist that exists, it puts all the other stuff into doubt. Even if it's right, they could have saved themselves a whole bunch by not shadowing the truths with things like ignoring this. They should not have ignored it. They should have said, yes, there was voter fraud that was rare. It was less than one half of 1%, or at least that's what I've, I've, I've seen suggested. But that, what that means is there's cleanup to do. And the January 6th committee could have said, and we need to clean this up. And then they could have probably created a, a subcommittee to look into how to clean that up. But they didn't do any of that. They just ignored it. They are pretending that it's not a real problem. Now, it may not be a real big problem, but anytime you cast doubt over an election, you're going to have that crisis of faith. And when you end up with a close to 50-50 election, that becomes massively significant. If, you know, if one of them had won by say like 12 points, nobody would be looking I mean, they'd be like, whatever, who cares? Like 1% error still wins. 2% error still wins. 10% error still wins. Not that I'm suggesting we want that much error. All right. <clears throat> Sorry, I needed a drink of water. I've been talking way too long which you probably know because you've been listening way too long. I'm sure you're ready to go. We're getting close to wrapping up, so hang in there with me. We're nearing the end. Uh, the fourth thing that the committee did not address was the Department of Justice corruption post-election. And you're probably going, what? What are you talking about corruption? Well, maybe you're not. Depends on how much you've been paying attention. Look, the Department of Justice has shown to have political bias, unfortunately. Post-election, it has become pretty obvious, pretty clear. And I really wish that the January 6th committee would have addressed that directly because it could have, it could have said a couple of things. It could have said, one, we, we saw it and we are rectifying the problem. Okay? But they didn't do that. It also could have said, number two, we are not naive to reality. That would have been really refreshing, even if they didn't just do anything about it because it favors them. The January 6th committee, I'm not talking about, you know, like a certain group of people, but the January 6th committee, their bias was they wanted this to be handled by the Justice Department. And in order to do that, I think they avoided this concept. I don't know this. I'm hypothesizing. This is not fact. This is opinion, but I'm hypothesizing that they just didn't want to piss the judicial system off and, you know, and make it so that, you know, it came out on any other way than the, the bias that they wanted from it. So I don't know that for sure. That's just my hypothesis. Uh, but what I do know is they did not address the post election, uh, department of justice issues. Number five, they ignored that Trump said peacefully and patriotically. That's a fact. 
that was on live television in front of millions of people. He said, march peacefully and patriotically to have your voices heard, or that, that last part wasn't exactly right, but something along those lines. And this leads me to decision point number five. Decision point number five is a question. It's a very simple question in, uh, in concept. Is it possible that the rioters could have or did all of this of their own volition? Is that possible? It's an important question. I mean, they definitely seemed influenced by one another on site. Uh, it did seem at first to be a peaceful protest, a peaceful gathering, uh, and it did escalate. So I don't know that I have that answer, but is it possible? We should be asking that question. Because if we're going to be fair and just... We have to ask the question. Then they summarize with their recommendations to the legal system, which is all that they can do. I mean, they, they can't make a legal, legal decree here. What they can do is say, this is what we're thinking. Um, and now it is officially in the hands of the judicial system. Which leads us to decision point number six. It's our final one. Do you have faith in the legal system to assess and decide based on facts without bias of a political nature? I think that's an important question. And it's one we are likely to have to face really soon, if not like we are facing it now. We want the judicial system to be unbiased to political orientation. It's very important in our system at that three-legged stool that I'm talking about. If one of them bleeds into another, um, now they're going to have a lot of overlap, but if it bleeds its power into another, it's a problem. It's a problem. Well, I guess then that brings up this, this, this other question. W what if the executive branch or the legislative branch bleeds into the judicial branch? or you know any of them bleeding into it to to usurp power. I guess that would take me back to when uh, Liz Cheney was talking about uh, perpetuity of institutions. I think at that point, we need to take a real close look at those institutions and if they're failing institutions because they're bleeding power into each other in order to manipulate the people of our country, to take advantage of the people then at some point we may have to stand up and say, nope, enough is enough. That system needs to go and we need to come up with some, some other kind of solution. Um, I hope we don't ever end up there. I think, you know, as far as we know, this is still the best system, uh, the best country uh, on the planet at, at this time. And I'm ex excited and, and grateful that I was born and get to you know live here. Uh, my, my great grandfather had to come here. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, definitely a good decision for our family. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. So, hey, I've given you plenty to think about. I appreciate you joining us. Have a great day. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a look at our website at www.healthyperspectives.com with a dash in between the healthy and the perspectives, make sure there's an S at the end.com. So again, www.healthy-perspectives with an S.com. 